0: Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe.
1: And I'm Eric skoska Well
0: guys, uh, one more football game left of this season, I'm going to be kind of happy to get this season out of uh, out of our minds and out of our thoughts, but there's there is a lot to talk about on that front, but... Uh, Before we get into that, huge congratulations to the field hockey team, Um, lost to North Carolina in the national championship game, hell of a game, like, oh my God, Uh, the way these ladies played the entire season, the whole tournament was just tremendous. And then, you know, in the, in the national championship game to be down to North Carolina, to get the equalizer so late in the game and then, you know, North Carolina, they're damn good. You know, they got the lead again with just barely any time left and was able to hold on uh, to the onslaught at the end. But what, what a season for these ladies.
1: Yeah. North Carolina is outstanding. And I just, I want to, I want to put this out there because the, you know, the cats lost this two one final super tight. Um, They worked their, Absolute butts off to earn a penalty corner uh, late in the game with, what, I think two minutes to play. That's when they scored the equalizer. North Carolina came just straight back down the field and scored almost almost immediately. It was a, a lightning-fast response. But you've got to understand from a context standpoint, here's North Carolina's other scores during the course of the NCAA tournament. 5-1 over Delaware in the first round. 5-2 over St. Joseph's in the second round. 3 nothing over Penn State in the semifinal. And then the Cats took them to the absolute wire. Um, it was a, a gritty performance. Uh, so much heart, so much um, just, just gusto in this team uh, to, to, to go down to the wire like this with, with an absolute behemoth. And we've, I've said it a number of times, like to, to get a chance to defend your title as, as the defending national champs um, and go to the wire like that. I just all, all the credit to this team. Uh, for for bringing everything they could possibly bring this season, and it was just you know unfortunate the way the way it played out in that final game against a really tough opponent, but um, just an amazing amazing year.
2: Yeah, I was left thinking that, like you said, North Carolina that team's a monster. We watched them, but Northwestern's pretty clearly the number two team in the country, and not just because that Northwestern rubber match, that Northwestern-Maryland rubber match went in Northwestern's favor. It's that if you watched that match, the national semifinal, Northwestern was just clearly the better team. Um, they they just were. They were controlling the possession. They were controlling the shots. And that game was, you know, a stalemate forever. And then all of a sudden was that flurry late where Bakker scored and then Relford scored. And then Maryland had a penalty corner at the death, right? And But still... Northwestern was clearly the better team out there, and then it flipped when you went when it went to North Carolina, and you just saw. I mean, North that team is just a juggernaut, absolute juggernaut. And honestly, for as rough as things were going offensively for the Cats all game long, like the fact that, like Scuzz said, they still were able to pull a goal late, and I mean, Annabelle Scoobish, like, oh my there's, god. There's no better goalie in the country, and it should not be close. She is absolutely phenomenal. And what put one more unbelievable performance in the national championship game on top of what's been an absolutely incredible season. She's, in all, she's going to be an all-time, and you great, and she'll be back next year. And that's one of the themes that I think we were talking about, um, you know, talking about this team coming out is, like, there's all kinds of talent coming back for this team. I mean, this is, uh, you know, they've got a dynasty going right now. And, yeah, they didn't win the second national title, but this is a fantastic team in the middle of a fantastic run, and they are going to absolutely reload next year. Uh,
0: Speaking of other magical runs, I mean, women's soccer, making it to the Sweet 16, um, you know, coming up against the the top seed in their bracket, UCLA, uh, dropping that. But, I mean, going out and beating Vanderbilt and, you know, just to, again, in the sweet 16 for the first time since 2016 is huge. And then, you know, UCLA is insane at, uh, at, at women's soccer. So, I mean, again, ran into a juggernaut and, you know, they very easily could win the whole thing this year.
1: Yeah. So UCLA is the number one overall team in the country. They were the number one seed in this, in this tournament. Um, and in the in the the cats regional super super tough matchup um but i think like what's more important is um this team you know having lost one of their captains to injury uh one of their best defenders to injury in the uh big 10 championship game and to notch two wins in the NCAA tournament make it to the to the sweet 16 to take out a vanderbilt team that was very very strong i just like again all all the kudos and credit to this to this team for this wonderful run this wonderful season that you know saw them knocking off a top 10 team in in Stanford at the beginning of the year and then just you know as you know Big 10 uh Titanic Big 10 match after Titanic Big 10 match and and uh, they've been so much fun to to follow throughout this season i think what got to number 5 overall in the country at one point um, and uh will be really fun to see you know, I think they do have a, a lot of a, a lot of senior talent um, that is potentially moving on, but it'll be really fun to see how this program uh, comes back next year and and what they bring to the table.
0: Uh, and then to to round out the uh, the trio of women's NCAA uh, tournament runs, um, running being the effective word there, uh, cross country, um, you know, making it to the national championship uh, tournament, uh, ended up finishing thirtieth, but again. We're talking about. I mean, I'm just you know, Inside Nu had had a write up on it. Uh, 75 traditional, te- or 75 teams in the traditional Power Six um, have women's cross country without a track and field program. Seton Hall, Creighton, and us. In the last 20 years, those teams have combined for a total of one national championship qualification. That's us this year. Amazing.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. And I, and again, we talked about it last week, but a lot of it spoke to the depth of the team, right? Like it was just a, an incredibly well-constructed team. Key transfers and just a, a deep roster where everyone performed at, at a level. And yeah, like there's no one runner absolutely dominating on this team, but they did it with balance and they did it with depth and they earned their place.
0: Yeah, um, and of course, you know, volleyball has you know, been on a bit of a slide, uh, you know, down the stretch, you know, with after that you know, injury. Um, it's it just things sort of seem to fall apart. There's still a couple of games left in the season. You know, hopefully they can kind of turn, you know, turn this slide around and, and finish on a strong note down the stretch. But uh, again, magical season for volleyball, too.
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the you know the volleyball squad um, has has dropped a few games now. It's been has been tough sledding for them. I think like that. Uh, so so much of their success was was predicated on uh, the effectiveness of Sienna Nordemir as a as a freshman setter um, who was just working extremely well with the with the hitters, and, and they, the offense was clicking. And they're now trying to work in their their third string setter to the to the to the squad and that's that's tough um they went you know they lost i think 3-0 to uh to indiana this weekend and took two of the sets to ot so they're just like you know they 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 had a great what first two-thirds of the season and are just kind of struggling to the finish here with with some depth and injury issues um plaguing them but um still like a uh, another team that has been so much fun to watch and has has been the entertainment value of their games is is astronomical um because they are close uh, they're back and forth affairs, and you know i like i don't I, I don't know what what the rest of the year portends for them if there's a if there's a tournament opportunity um but they're they're close they're really close I mean like I said, two of these sets went to overtime uh, against Indiana or, or, or you know extra points, whatever you want to call it. So there's, um, they're still doing a lot of work. Uh, they still have Timmy Thomas Alara, who's, um, an exceptional hitter, uh, across the big 10. And, uh, we'll just have to see where the chips fall come, come the end of the season.
0: So, yeah, I mean, speaking of the end of the season, I, I, mentioned it off the top. Um, you know, football is coming down to it. You know, normally we are very excited about the hat week. Um, Illinois coming up this weekend, before we uh, hat do you want a hoop? Let's hoop. Let's hoop it up. Absolutely. Um I mean there's women, not a, there's not
1: a lot to say other than yeah, like I mean, some of the most recent results and then John you had just like a spe- you, you summed it up spectacularly on uh, on Twitter the other day.
2: Oh, just difficulty level? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the men are en route to being 5 and 0 on the season. Um, and the women are now 2 and 2, but the The difficulty the the women have played two of the best teams in the country and they lost both of those games by big margins, and the men have now won five games against you know the the headliner of their five game group was uh, a Georgetown team that broke a twenty one game losing streak immediately before they played Northwestern so. The cats are still the men's team is still looking for a marquee opponent, and the women's team is, I think is still trying to calibrate. I mean, they crushed Niagara today, and they've gotten crushed by two powerhouses. So, I think we're we're still trying to calibrate both of these teams and figure out exactly what all this means at this point.
1: I think that's the key point. I mean, what what you said on Twitter was, you know, the, the, the men or the, the women have the difficulty at level set on all Madden and the right. men are playing beginner. Right. And it's, it's making it difficult for us to really evaluate where either one of these teams stands. So it's just this, the, the, not the non-con in basketball, particularly on the men's side has always been tough, tough. Um, I, when does the ACC big 10 challenge happen? Is that soon?
2: It's coming up. And then I, I have to look and see who, because the, the men are playing in a tournament right now. And if they, you know, winning off this tournament will, I think dictate who they play next. So
0: Uh, the game just went final cats win 66 to 52.
2: So they will play either Auburn or Bradley. I think partly, I think kind of wish, you know, that it would be Auburn to see how the cats match up against a, a big team, you know, a a big power five team and then Pitt in the ACC big 10 championship. So, and then Michigan state. So,
0: you know, huh.
2: hey, five and zero. Oh, but if if it's Auburn, Pitt, Michigan State, we're gonna you know find out a lot really quickly yeah, in a well, short period of we time. Will,
0: we will learn. So yeah, and you know, time time to talk football. Yeah. So it, it is. I mean, or a- actually, actually, hang on. Um, Auburn did beat Bradley, 85-64. Auburn is ranked number thirteen. So so there you oh, go. Wow. Cat,
1: Cat's got a big uh, big one in front of him. Go get it, learn. For Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, mentioned off the top that, uh, we've got the hat week coming this weekend. Um, you know, normally we'd be all over that you know, playing uh, the Mexican hat dance and, you know, hatting it up left, right, and everywhere, you know, mad hatters and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, this season is what the season is. I mean, the team is one in 10, um, has not won a game on American soil in over a year. Uh, and you know. I guess we should probably talk a little bit about the, the Purdue game um, this past weekend. It's hard. It's really hard because, like, we're starting our fourth string walk-on quarterback who, you know, gutted. I mean, he played a gutty game. Like, I can't sit there and, and fault the players for how they played against Purdue. They hung tight. It was, it was a pretty close game all the way. You know, the defense played pretty well. Yeah, it was it was stupid cold. Uh, the wind was a factor, not <laughs> not like Ohio State wind was a factor, but I mean, the elements did come into play. But e- even so, I mean, it's like you know how how much are we pulling away, pulling out of that game, you know, and and spinning it to the Illinois game when the big elephant in the room is what's going to happen this coming Sunday or Monday. A, a a
1: treasure chest of pirate booty for Cole Freeman, absolutely. Who like. Left everything out on the... I mean, that dude played so hard. Left everything out on the field. Was lowering his shoulder. Was like, I mean, like a like, good job, dude. Like, like you got an opportunity to start a Big Ten football game against a team that is in the hunt for the division. Their division crown. I mean, like, like th- this, this weren't no like Purdue taking taking you know uh, taking it easy or anything. Like, like this was a critical game that they had to have to still have a shot at winning the West and um i thought i thought cole freeman like did northwestern proud did all of us fans proud did the coaching staff proud like put everything out on the field left it all out there i thought a lot of the like we we saw a lot of the guys on the team malik working his working his tail off Hull, um churning through through content uh contact some of the defensive guys like played really really hard again like we've said this probably three or four weeks in a row now and actually something i did learn at the minnesota game talking to um some of the parents is like the the captains did kind of call the team together after the Iowa loss and said, Hey guys, like, like, where's the juice? We like, we need to, we like get, if somebody makes a good play, like get excited, support your teammates. Yeah. like, Like our record's not where we want it to be. The season hasn't been what we want to be, but like, that doesn't mean that we, that we should bail on each other or, um or dial this back or anything. So I like, I think, I think you've seen that on the field um since that Iowa game you know across Ohio State and uh Purdue and I, there was another one in there wasn't there um Minnesota um but anyways like i like all the pirate booty for Cole Freeman cuz like again like at at one point there was somebody on twitter somebody on twitter you know friend of the friend of the pie was like he's like he's arm throwing his throwing motions kind of weird and i was like dude like, like what, it, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this He's is not <laughs> like I, I, and, and, uh, and he figured out, he understood what I was saying very, very quickly. But, um, the point being like, uh, fourth string walk on QB and he made the absolute most of it. And Frank, like gave Northwestern a chance to win. And like, you just, you, just, you got to take your hat off to that.
2: Sure. Um, I think the, he did, and, and the effort of the players, and like I said, I mean, I, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, um, Rod Hurd and Devin Hur- Rod Hurd and Devin Turner have a really good two game stretch going. Those two guys, I think, have combined for twenty seven solo tackles in two weeks, which is just amazing stuff. Um, against two teams that just tried to pound the ball at them, running the ball, one team had a lot more success than the other. I think one of the things I'd say we were finally gifted. um, gifted in this game for, I mean, I don't know how many times it's, you know, we certainly have had been blessed with favorable circumstances, but this is the first time we had an opponent that played like trash on both sides of the ball. Purdue played an awful game and just, you know, deserved to, I mean, they deserved to lose. They were playing a team that was almost certainly not going to beat them, but they played really poorly. Aiden O'Connell, the stats show he only missed nine passes over half of those would have been touchdowns. He just was not locating some wide open guys in the game. Um, And they lost their starting running back and their starting center. And it kneecapped their running game a little ways into the second half. They were just ground to a halt, combined with great effort from the guys um, on defense. And, but with all that said, I mean, it was 17-9. It never felt like we had a chance to win this game. Um, And, I think the, the the Freeman piece of it, you guys already said it, but you can look at a guy who had real issues throwing the ball in this game, was 9 for 20, um, threw that pick, which, I mean, th- that. congrats on the guy who celebrated. And, okay, for anyone who pushed up, for <laughs> anyone on Twitter who's like, guys should be able to celebrate, that dude picked the ball, located the quarterback, and showed the quarterback up. He showed up a fourth-string quarterback for the worst scoring offense in the Power Five the moment he caught the ball. 1,000 out of 1,000 times, that's getting called dead on the field. Dude cost his team a touchdown and deserved to cost his team a touchdown. That was just gross. Um, And I'm sure he learned his lesson. But regardless, Freeman, you can look at his numbers and just, you know, the way he was throwing the ball. And still be like, it was a gutty performance and he was kind of making some things happen out there. Why? Because even though he's a fourth string walk-on, he's kind of a fit for the offense. And that just brings us back to the fact that we were told again and again and again that quarterback was a dead heat all through the summer. And we did not make the tiebreaker The guy who was the optimum fit for the offense, which, again, it's just (laughs) one more thing to go back and be like, this clown show that we have been on, that's just one more example, right? That Cole Freeman shows how good of a fit Brendan Sullivan is in this offense. I mean, it it is what it is. Um, And, you know, the defense, again... Great effort from the guys, particularly, like I was saying, I mean, Bryce coming back off missing that injury, he put in a really good shift, 10-7. and Again, this was a team that Purdue, you know, they lost their pieces of their running game early, but still, the guys stepped up. But at the same time, this remains, I mean, Northwestern is the, somehow we're the 13th run defense in the conference instead of 14th by five yards against Nebraska. Those two teams, by the way, have combined for something like 4,400 rush yards given up this season, which is just incredible. But Northwestern is, you know, I think 10th in total defense, 11th in scoring defense in the conference, last in sacks, second to last in interceptions. Um, And the reason that I bring some of these things up is the – I don't know. I mean, again, I suppose, and this is this is getting into this period of time that we're in, in this big week, and I think what we're all looking at and everything is that the offense, uh, the offensive coaching, eclipsing how bad the defensive coaching was for so much of the season. I, I think immediately, some people are looking and being like, "Look at the end of the season. If it's Bajakian gone and it's not Jim O'Neill gone, that's not good enough." And I think that's the one thing that's in unequivocal and it I think that's where we all are. And that's why again, like, you know, we've said Scuzz covered it. The guy has fought hard in this game. That's the most important thing to pull out of it. But here we are in this gap. Coming into this final week where, like Sam said, the focus is on what's gonna happen on Sunday or Monday. Because make no mistake, I mean, you can look at our reactions on Twitter. You can look at, we can tell you everyone we've talked to, right? But you can just look at, you know, tweets at the end of football games for the past three or four weeks, and you can see exactly where Northwestern Nation is. And one coordinator gone is not going to cut it. Two coordinators gone is the expectation. And you're talking the expectation of season ticket holders. And I think... Everyone is waiting to see if that is going to be what happens on Sunday or Monday or if something, you know, beyond that happens on Sunday or Monday. But but this is absolutely where everyone's mind is right now.
0: It, it's interesting. Uh, and, you know, just a bit, you know, you mentioned season ticket holders. And, um, you know, Northwestern had like an early renewal window. And I'd be really, really interested to see what kind of numbers they got on that early renewal window coming off the season that we had. And, you know, if that has any impact on any decisions made by the athletic department, I don't know. That's just, I just thought of that. That's weird.
2: Yeah, those emails, those emails went out and I kind of felt bad because we know some of the people in the ticket department and those are awesome people over there. And I think, you know, the timing of all these emails and everything is pre-programmed, but that early ticket window... Email was not well received
1: by a bunch of people <laughs> in, in the Northwestern. I, I, in think, I think my favorite was uh, was an Aaron Friedman um, who who wrote uh, do, dude, like tagged Doctor Gregg and said like I'll renew my season tickets early when y'all fire a coordinator early. <laughs> yeah right yeah i thought like i mean again we and i i've had this argument with a couple of different people but like like you know the whole like oh why do you do this in the season it doesn't make sense to do in the season i'm like except that that's how like all of college football works all of college football works this way folks but like regardless like i want to go back to what you said john about what the expectation is i i'm gonna like i mean i think there's a not so fast my friend here and that like i i agree with you i think neither one of these coordinators can come back. I I mean, to me, especially O'Neal, like if you're serious about anything related to football, we have to have a a fresh start on defense. Um, I think Bajakian could, you know, maybe you don't want to change both in the same year. He is somebody who is, is, unlike O'Neal, who has not had success in the majority of his stops prior to Northwestern. Bajakian is someone who's had success in virtually all of his stops prior to Northwestern. Um, and the, the lack of success at NU is, is somewhat surprising and frustrating. And we've cast, um, a lot of that at the, at the feet of Fitz over the course of this season. But I think like the, the, the NU fan base on Twitter and, and, and us and the folks that are like, you could put in the diehard category are. a a vocal minority of the overall Northwestern fan base. I think, I don't think the expectation from the average Northwestern fan is that both coordinators are fired. Um, And I think if something were to happen with Fitz, I think a a plurality of the fan base would be totally shocked. Now I like, that's not a judgment of whether those things should or should not happen or how we should feel about them. I just like, I want to call a spade a spade that like, That's our expectation. I don't think that's the average fan's expectation.
2: Sure. But at the same time, and here's and again, to Scuzz's point, the all of you who are listening to this podcast, we're preaching to the choir here, because Scuzz is like Yeah, yeah. You we all are the people who know. And yeah, there are. But we also know that I mean, we're connected, I mean connected in terms of We talk to a lot of people in a lot of different circles and everyone's saying the same things and we know from a lot of those people that a lot of these things are being brought to Dr. Gregg's doorstep. So he's aware and he's aware of, you know, of the situation, of the lay of the land. But, you know, for some people, we've talked a little bit about it on Twitter, you know, after the game and everything. But when you're talking about, oh, you know, firing one coordinator, but would you fire both coordinators? Like everyone needs to be, absolutely clear on just how bad things are right now. Because it's easy to be like, Northwestern's had some bad seasons. Northwestern's en route to losing 11 games. Northwestern hasn't lost more than 9 games in 33 years up until this year. I uh, t- yeah, I was going to
1: say, the 10th loss this week this is the first time I've seen double-digit losses in my yeah. 23 yeah, years right. as a Northwestern fan.
2: And, yeah. and we're headed for you know, we're sitting on 19, headed for 20 losses in two years, and that's the worst stretch in 33 years. But beyond those numbers, Pat Fitzgerald, if Northwestern loses to Illinois, will have lost 26 Big Ten games in four years. This is a staggering number. Only four coaches have ever put up that many Big Ten losses in a four-year stretch. And yes, it's those four coaches. It's the dark ages. Pont, Venturi, Green, P. It's those four. And in each one of those cases where those coaches tied, and again, This was not, 26 is not a number that people were running past, even in the the height of the dark ages. You have to go to Denny Green to see a number much bigger than 26. In those four cases where a coach lost 26 Big Ten games in four years, two times the coaches were immediately fired. The other two times, the coaches were given one more year and then they were fired. And no, I'm not saying that the same should be to Pat Fitzgerald, and it's apples and oranges. But you can look at apples and oranges two different ways. I mean, you're talking about four coaches working in the dark ages with a university actively fighting the football program. No success, no facilities, no nothing. And then on the heels of two seasons where Northwestern won 19 games in two years, in, what, 17 and 18. Northwestern then immediately reeled off 26 Big Ten losses in four years. It's really, really bad, people. Um, and again, it is there is not precedent for this prior to the Dark Ages for one coach to turn in a stretch like this. So it is absolutely reasonable that two coordinators are the minimum. And you should not assume anything relative to Fitz's job security. We've all made plenty of assumptions. Um but and a lot of that's based on relationships with Pat Ryan and the stadium and and you know, and to be fair, Fitz's track record over the long term. But nobody knows. I mean
0: he he, he is the winningest coach in Northwestern history. Right.
2: Yeah that's what that's what that what that's
1: what makes the twenty six game number I think problematic from my perspective is that like Fitz transcends every other because co- no nobody has ever coached at northwestern for more than 11 years before well so, so, it I, is, what-
2: I mean it's it is right and it's it it is and it isn't right because again it's you have all of those things and then on the flip side you're like how could it be possible to lose that many games yeah. i mean again it's yeah. this is a monster number it's well, a so here, huge here's- number
1: no, it's it's astronomical, and I and like what makes it worse is that the Big Ten is diluted relative to to those times in the past, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there was no, there there weren't no Rutgers of Maryland well, to, uh, to, back in the yeah, day, right. No, you're absolutely um, right. But like, so here, here, here's here's where my head's at, um, for what it's worth. And I think um, the you know if you try if you try to diagnose what is wrong with Northwestern, we focused a ton on the coordinators. Um, we've certainly focused a lot on Fitz's. Uh, philosophy you know we all well if 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 you're if you've been a northwestern fan for more than 10 years you rem you remember a time where the identity of northwestern football was on the offensive side of the ball and that outside 50, of
0: fifty four fifty one, yeah, you know, that that
1: yeah i mean even even the the dan persa years uh, yeah, uh honestly sure. um but like short of justin you know justin jackson's um running ability during his four years and the way that we tailored our offense to that was, was somewhat of an identity, but, um, like the identity of this team as Randy Walker built it. Um, and this was like a lot of people hated this at the time because they were like, why can't we have a defense? Um, was, was very offensive uh, in nature. Um, and, Fitz has slowly changed that he has, he has dialed back the explosiveness on offense. He was focused on recruiting defensive players. Um, you know, you have finite resources in college football. You have to, you have to pick and choose a little bit at the same time. I think like, I remember, I remember the times where like we turned Zeke Markshausen into, I think the leading receiver in the big 10 in receptions. Um, This was like a, like, like a no stars, like walk on dude, like, had a great seat, like we we turned Austin, Austin Carr was, was on nobody's radar and um, was one of the top three wide receivers in the country. His senior year has been in the NFL ever since that, like that type of player development and that sense of Northwestern being able to out, out think, out perform, out execute out, whatever the opponents, that is, that is the thing that's most galling to me. And I, I think there are, in addition to the coordinators, I think there's one other, like, problematic element is that the atmosphere of college football has changed from five years ago, let alone, you know, 17 when Fitz took this job. And we are in a, a era of player enablement, NIL transfer portal if, if as a coach you cannot get your head around these things and figure out how to use them to your advantage as opposed to them just being a detriment to how you're operating your program then like you're probably out of your depth in, in like the game has, has moved on in in, in a way and, and I don't mean that meanly it's just it's just the reality of the nature of of this game and the sport and and this business frankly has changed dramatically in the last four years and Northwestern has not kept pace. Yeah. And that's not all Pat Fitzgerald's fault, but if he's unable to, um, to bring himself I- into that new way of thinking, or if those are around him are not empowered to help carry that load, um, then it is absolutely 100 million percent time for, um, new voices and new ways of thinking.
2: Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, it's, 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 you're right about everything you said. And if it's going to be Pat Fitzgerald, it has to be Pat Fitzgerald surrounded by people who will handle that piece of it, right? It's, you have to surround him with young forward thinkers who be like, all right, look, you handle the program aspect of this. You handle everything, all your strong suits, you lean into this. We will handle scheme, NIL, all the new things. But, Hey, hey, Mac Brown ain't handling any of that shit at North Carolina, nope. yeah, right? right. right. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of feel like Mac Brown's probably handling like a golf club, like half the time, and like whatever. Yeah, the, the, or uh, maybe
1: maybe a better, better example is Harbaugh,
2: right?
0: And that's a thing. Like Harbaugh mm, made those. That's, that's a that's a great example because you know a couple of years ago when Harbaugh when Michigan was on the downswing, and you know Harbaugh was basically said. Make some changes, or here's the door. He had his come to Jesus moment. You're absolutely
2: right. Yeah, and that yeah. was it. And he
1: and he and he brought in a young, dynamic thinker and on offense in Josh mm-hmm.
2: Um
1: and they have rebuilt their offense in a in a modern way. And look, here they are, two years in a row, vying for the college football championship. That's not an accident,
2: right? And again, and there are so. Two things like, one, people are going to be like, yeah, but like, look at like the way Michigan can recruit and apples and oranges and stuff. Yeah, of and course. I, like and we're I, not, we're not but, asking
1: to be in the playoffs. Oh yeah. I mean, but, maybe eventually. But, but yeah. I
2: want to go right at that because I also want to go at what you brought up earlier, which is change, right? And the notion of look at college football, look at the way it's changed in just like the past three or four years, right? And it's like, well, college football is always changing and it's gone yeah, through yeah. major periods and shifts. But you can look and and this is a really big thing because, you know, we talked about our discussion with Doug Maurice and kind of his take on this. But I mean, just, uh, you know, talking about Twitter, there was a random person in the Twitter, not one of our regular followers, but someone, you know someone seemed like perfectly nice, not a troll or anything like that, someone who was interested in the conversation and everything, but jumped in and into the discussion, the discussions that Northwestern Nation has been having and said, yeah, but has Northwestern ever really won though? And <laughs> we had to jump in and be like, oh yes. Oh yes, we have. And this is kind of where I wanted to go because there is a large theme. And when I say a large theme, I mean a theme that goes back 60 years, 70 years, 80 years of Northwestern's success or failure being defined by change or lack thereof. And then if it's lack thereof leading to failure, that failure gets spun in the moment or in hindsight as Northwestern being disadvantaged because of the academic standards of the university. It is this titanic fallacy that it's not just a recent thing. We were talking about... We had a discussion, uh, I think, on one of the message boards with someone who was going in the to uh, Northwestern in the 60s and talking about that even in the 60s, in the Agassi era, by the late 60s, right prior to his strongest teams, there was a feeling amongst the Northwestern student body that, oh, Northwestern's not good at football. And just, you know... Football's not a priority, and they're not good at football, and they haven't been good since Parsegian. And I really wanted to, to lean into this, because I'm going to explain exactly what I'm talking about here. So, Eric Parsegian was Northwestern's head coach from 1956 to 1963, and then so famously went on to Notre Dame. Well, one of the greatest misconceptions is that Notre Dame was like, well, if you can win at Northwestern, will and that's a story I've heard. I've heard this story many times— Notre Dame was like, well, if you can win at Northwestern, we know you'll be good at Notre Dame. That is 0% why Notre Dame hired Eric Parsigan. Notre Dame hired Eric Parsigan because he kicked the crap out of Notre Dame for 10 years. Because Northwestern was all over Notre Dame for a decade. And then they went and they got that guy. That's why Notre Dame wanted Parsigan. If you look at Parsigan's win percentage, and then you look at the five coaches who coached there before him, In the 35 years before him, three of them had straight up better records. Two of those have better career records than Fitz. And then a fourth, uh, Bob Voitz, has a better career record than Gary Barnett. Those were all the guys basically who preceded Parsegian, okay? But Parsegian was the beginning of this thing. And it's like, when change kills you, it never kills you immediately. It takes time, and by the time Parsegian was finishing up his career at Northwestern, he was going head to head with the Northwestern, with the Northwestern leadership, being like, "You have to give me some air on these standards," and you know whatever standards he was asking for, right? Probably <laughs> don't even hold a candle. Just whatever the standards are that Northwestern operates under now, where we're number one in the nation in APR every year, right? You know, whatever era was asking for probably doesn't even hold a candle to that. He just wanted something that was somewhat reasonable for the time. And Northwestern would give him nothing. So finally he threw up his hands and he left and he went to Notre Dame. And then Alex Agassi was left picking up the mess. And the ship that, the slowly sinking ship that Parsegian left, Agassi was stuck with, and it went down and down and down, and then he had this brief swell where he had two classes of good players, but even by the time those days arrived, Northwestern students in the 60s were already spinning it as, yeah, but Northwestern can't compete. To give you a point of reference, up until the point I'm talking about, like 1970-ish, Northwestern and Iowa were net even in the entire histories of the football programs of their schools, Up until that point, Northwestern actually was a little bit better than Iowa was, but this slowly sinking ship, and then they just will never adjust the standards. And college football starts to go through this great shift in the 70s and the 80s, and Northwestern just sits it out. And the university starts actively fighting against the schools and everything. Um, And it just totally sinks things. Failure to change. But it was explained at the time as like, oh, no one wants to come to Northwestern. No one wants to do anything. Northwestern was doing just fine. But at the time, Northwestern decided to sit out two decades of football. Iowa got Hayden Fry, and they won four and a half more games than Northwestern for two decades. And then since those 30 years, Iowa's only been one game better than us for seasons. But if you look at Gary Barnett, chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a whole wing of you who've read at least one book about Northwestern, about that Rose Bowl season and Gary Barnett. And what's the theme? Gary Barnett came in and changed everything. He changed everything. Every single thing top to bottom and built the program from the ground up. And then Randy Walker came in with Kevin Wilson and they totally redesigned a new offense that no one had seen. Sam, you mentioned 5451 earlier. 5451, which all of you have watched so many times, is a bunch of Michigan NFL defensive players literally having no clue what we're doing on offense we were the great innovators (laughs) we were the great innovators of that whole era and you know that reputation stuck with northwestern for like five or six years after that oh northwestern runs that spread that crazy spread running game and no one knows how to deal with it we were great innovators um and we had a lot of success under Fitz. but like scuzz was saying these things when it's change that kills you It happens slow and it's slowly happening. And one of the things that I look at is the Kane Coulter situation. And I mean, we talked about it way back in the day at the dawn of this pod. And that the thing that was so maddening to us about it was that any person, whether you're for or against it, would have been like, the landscape is going to shift This is a house of cards built on money that's not going to the players. It can't last. It's going to change. And that when it did, the first shots in those battles were going to be fired by players at a school like Northwestern. It just makes sense. Brilliant, free-thinking student-athletes, they're going to end up... Coulter's final two choices were Stanford and Northwestern. And, And the idea... That Northwestern wasn't... And and he he committed to Stanford before they backed out on it. Right. right? And that the idea that Northwestern wasn't seeing the chessboard there or was seeing it and was willfully ignoring it and just being like, this is coming, and it's probably going to happen here. There's a really good chance. And when it does, what's our plan? And we could have been the forward thinkers 10 years ahead of the game. And instead, we very publicly stamped on that whole thing. And then ten years ago we're watching a Brandon Joseph go out the door looking for NIL opportunities somewhere else because we are last in that space. In a situation where we could have been first. We could have been first by a mile. And it's like thinking like that, it's failure to change and it does it kills you slow. And we are in that place right now. We are slowly arriving to where we're playing catch up. And there are going to be people, especially outside the Northwestern program, who are going to be like, oh, yeah, but that's you guys just can't recruit. You can't get the guys in there that you need. And it's all BS. It's all BS. Northwestern can change and succeed or they cannot change and watch things slowly slide downhill. It has ever been thus.
1: Yeah, I I will say I agree with everything you just said, John, and that was a, a really effective um narrative that you've laid out there the the one thing i would say it's because it's not about the players it's not about competing it's that to stay competitive because northwestern cannot just like play the ohio state playbook they they have to be innovators and so like so there's a little bit of like um not circular logic in, in, in what you're saying but there's a little bit of like like like, yeah when northwestern doesn't change or isn't isn't thoughtful and isn't on the front foot they do suck and a variable in that is that there's a smaller player pool that we draw from it's like but y- you're right at what the root cause is the root cause is not that we can't get players in it's that we're not it's that we're not staying on top of of where the sport is is trending
2: right and it's absolutely and so like, like, it abs- it's absolutely true right that if we're not changing no with this player pool it's not good enough yeah
1: exactly exactly and so like i like that's just like i, th- I think that's just a really um helpful because i think a lot of people who are going to hear they're going to be like well what are you talking about like we can't get a quarterback well like why can't we get a quarterback let's let's evaluate why we can't get a quarterback is it because we're still running a 2012 offense is that why we can't get a quarterback is it because we've we've failed to recruit big wide receivers? Is that why we can't get a quarterback? Um, I, I sure as shit know it's not because of our academic standards that, 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 that that's why we can't get a quarterback. Right. So um, that's that's the
0: point that I think you're trying to make that's really, really effective and, and important and good. Is it we can't get a quarterback and an IL deal that he's getting everywhere else? Well, now,
1: I mean, well, because like, well, let's let's talk about NIL specifically because, like, so first and foremost, this is not something Fitz controls. No. Now he certainly could have some influence in 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 pushing, you know, a, a donor or a booster or who like like emphasizing to to, you know, someone like Pat Ryan, like, hey, like it'd be really great if you guys could help figure this out for us because like like there's a there's a there's a wall on purpose,
0: um, so coaches do not own or drive or, or manage nil and well and, and they did bring in that organization to to deal with on-campus nil but i mean haven't heard anything about what that organization is doing since they made that announcement
1: well more problematic they're at least a year behind everybody else that's that's yeah, the problem course, with nil right now it's in and, and again like this this is not something that you can put at the, at the feet of Co- coach fitzgerald i think like A program that operates generally conservatively and has like actively pushed back against like player like uh desires and benefits in the past in some way, shape, or form, like is you know, probably not well suited to take on NIL. So like they're not like they're not completely without culpability, but um this is not something that they could have solved in the last 18 months. Um but because Northwestern was slow, because nope, because and when I say Northwestern, I mean like the broader Northwestern community. Nobody, nobody jumped on the, and picked up the ball and ran with this in the way that, that uh, booster organizations at other schools did. So um, that we're just, we're just behind the eight ball on NIL, on NIL. And what I think what I've heard generally is, yeah, we can, we can do anything except get a QB because we can't afford a QB because we haven't set up the infrastructure. We don't have the money flowing. We don't have the, the, the pool um, to support that yet. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it can't, happen in the future. But I just like I think it's really important to get specific about NIL because it's very easy to be
2: like, ah rah, 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 you know. Well um well to the two related to that though, because okay, you're right. So like some of that doesn't fall at the feet of fits, but there has been this kind of thing, right? I mean, where there's a group of decision makers and it, it has included fits and it has included, you know, the top of the athletic department, it included our outgoing university president, right? Where, you know, the, the whole AD situation painted the picture of a small cabal of individuals making a group of decisions and not seeing the chessboard. And that was, I mean, that was our whole, you know, in the moment with that, with the whole AD situation, the thing that burned us so bad was that is not seeing the chessboard and not being like, you're only seeing what's happening within the first hour after you announce this. And how are you not seeing what's going to happen tomorrow? And then the day after that, and the day after that and how this is just going to be an inferno. That's going to burn for two year, two weeks until you finally retract the decision. It's like, we could all see exactly how this was going to play out. And it's the same with like the cane thing where it's like, you know, we've, that, that was an era of, you know, within the athletic department of so much success in so many ways in terms of Chicago's Big Ten team and growing the the football program and all these things. But there were chances, right, to be a leader in spaces and present certain forward-thinking, you know, things and and see the chessboard in a level that we haven't. And that was, you know, in the NIL, to your point, Scott's like, right, he's not directly controlling. But like, we certainly heard no shortage of chatter over the past like five or six years. That is like, yeah, like Fitz is not on board with X, Y, and Z, you know, and it's, and those kind of things. He he,
1: he didn't go as far as Dabo who famously said he would retire if players ever got paid. I'm still waiting for that retirement (laughs) ceremony, Dabo. Um, but Fitz, Fitz certainly has, you know, has always espoused an old school coaching mentality. Um, well i should you know at the same time we should say like being very supportive of his players like yeah um even when the i mean like yes he pushed back against the union itself but he you know the 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 talk track with with kane in season when kane you know displayed um uh the acronym on his on his uh towel was basically like hey i just wish you would talk to the team about it first and and then it was no problem there on right so like i i don't want to paint him as like some you know a hole grump whose players hate because I don't think that's no, not at all. Either, He's but, beloved but, by his
2: players, but I mean, it's just yeah, for, but
1: it's but it's a, it's a, it's an old school mentality, right. and you are 100% right. Fitz has influence. Well, he he cannot go out and say, All right, here's what we need to do for NIL do XYZ, PD, and Q. He cannot do that, but he certainly has influence that um, he has wielded what feels like in the opposite direction, most likely. It
2: is, I mean, again, the word is change, change is the operative thing. And yep. Northwestern is at a, at a junction point where we need radical change in this football program. It doesn't have to be Pat Fitzgerald. Fitz can stay. But if Fitz is staying, you've got to bring in an offensive and a defensive coordinator who are coming in with new ideas and new approaches. And, you know, young, energetic guys, it would be great to see some coaches of color. It would be great to see just, again, you need to attack the current era at the coordinator position. Um, and you, and just be, again, it needs to be forward thinking. It needs to be new ideas and it needs to be Northwestern, you know, jumping back to the forefront of that era, that place, that place that's delivered them so much of their success and just getting away from just stagnating, which has always been where Northwestern's problems have come in. Um, so yeah. And again, so yeah, this is where we're all sitting and, It just is casting this massive shadow over the game. And, you know, and again, right, this is our rivalry game. And it's a rivalry game against a really good Illinois team. And it's just, these are all the things. I mean, Northwestern Nation, or certainly Northwestern Nation in terms of, as we said earlier, the people who closely follow Northwestern football, people who listen to this pod, people who are active, message boards, Twitter, tailgates, everything, right? Um, Have an expectation both coordinators are out and are waiting to see um, exactly what's going to happen the day, days, after this game. If you or a loved one is
0: seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy and vigorous advocacy. Go to sinsinlawgroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. So I, I do want to bring it back to the this game on Saturday. I mean um the, there is the hat to play for i mean we've had the hat for a long long time and you know illinois took it last year um we've seen bad northwestern teams beat good illinois teams for the hat you know i i think back to the a few years back when we had no business being anywhere in that game and we you know went out and
2: he we have a fourth string quarterback playing in this game but he's still a quarterback he's not like a safety playing (laughs) running back so yeah
1: I think the the difference though is that Illinois is they're really good, a dramatically improved squad, and and do yes, not do, do not allow but, their two most recent losses to dissuade you from the fact that this is an excellent team and a very poor matchup for Northwestern as the rest of the season has portended. As opposed to like in twenty nineteen, like Illinois was also bad in twenty nineteen.
0: Yeah, I mean here like I they have lost three in a row. And you yeah, know the, yeah, the Michigan State one was kind of weird, but you know, the Purdue game was close. obviously the Michigan game they, you know that was that was super close. I mean they gave Michigan all they could handle. so you know, I'm trying not to like read too much into their three game losing streak,
2: but you know it, it is there and like they're losing is contagious. sure I mean they they I mean I mean it's they came within a missed field goal of within a missed Michigan field goal of beating the number three team in the nation last week. Um, right, and they did it with sure. they did it with defense. Um, and there, again, like they 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 got a Purdue game that we definitely didn't get. I mean, if anything, you know, we got a little bit of a letdown game. But I mean, the guys stepped up. I mean, to circle back, I mean, the guys played their asses off against Purdue, but. Illinois is a really good football team. I mean, obviously the health of Chase Brown, but I, you know, I think we have every indication that he's going to play. Um I think that's the expectation and if he plays, they're just a great football team. I mean, they've had a couple of tough losses down the road, but this is a team that lest we forget. I mean, they pasted Wisconsin early in the season. They beat Minnesota handily. They whooped on Nebraska. Like they're this is a team that Gave, gave up a ludicrously low number of points through their first, you know, 10 games of the season. So, And we're trotting out our fourth-string quarterback with, God love him, Cole Freeman, but um, we're bringing that up against a defense that is a really, really good defense. No, they're not Iowa, but they are an awesome defense. And it's, you know, it is the longest of odds.
1: I guess it, like... But the one the one piece of optimism I guess and we talked about this a little bit last week is that you know I, I what three weeks ago or two weeks ago I went through Illinois' schedule and the teams that they've beaten and like the the offenses aren't much to sing at so um, you know I think when they were what the number two defense of the nation or whatever like that was maybe a little a little over uh, overboard but um, I think that like it's just it's hard to not see the the, the gap between how they're playing and how we're playing i mean you'd have to see you have to see a pretty sizable turnaround from northwestern now are we do we 100 percent know that it's freeman do we know that sully no. is out
2: uh, obviously we know nothing right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh, yeah actually i want to say we do um i believe i think this is true that helinski and sullivan are both out for the year um I believe.
0: Well, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure Holinsky is. Holinsky I, is. I. I mean, I. I don't know about. I would imagine Sullivan is, but
2: I'm b- not. I knowing- believe we were told that at some point, and I don't have this in front of me, but I. I want to say that's true, um, but you're right. I mean, I. I'm not. We don't know, but I. My expectation is it's going to be Cole Freeman, um, but you know, I mean, this is Illinois held. J.J. McCarthy to you know fifty percent completions, forty six point seven QBR. Held Blake Corum to one hundred and eight yards. Now I think you know he got hurt in that game. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: so official, official um, from NU football family. So, wait, November nineteenth. Oh, was that that was game
0: day? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. We don't know for sure. Um, and you know what? What's the deal with Carl Richardson? I mean, do we
2: have any, we have no idea. Carl! I mean, again, yeah, again, I mean, I mean, again, this is about Illinois and their defense. Yes, they feasted on some guppies early on in the season. Illinois' defense is awesome. They just are. Um, particularly yeah, at getting after the quarterback. Um, now, it is, it's a rivalry game, and that's certainly going to mean something to the guys. Um, and, you know, beating Illinois at home to end this horrible season would certainly be something to take out of it, but... I I wouldn't make that an expectation. Again, like Illinois is they've had three tough losses in a row for a what's a really good football team. I mean, again, lest we forget, this team's a missed field goal right now from being eight and three coming off a win over the number three team in the nation. Um they're they're really good.
0: Um yeah, at least the weather's gonna be going to be nice, at least from what I'm, I'm seeing right now. Um, shoot. Yeah. Like 52 degrees, um, you know, breeze, breezy in the afternoon and it's an afternoon kick. So, uh, you know, two 30 start, you know, finishing under the temporary lights that they're going to be dragging in. Um, but you know, at, at least, you know, you know, we're not going to have to sit outside and
2: gale force, Blizzard-like conditions. I mean, you—that's you know, bad for us. Northwestern has depended on those kind of conditions this season. Yeah, no, that's that, that's true. That's true.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah.
1: Um, At the same time, like, I, like there's there's you know the and we've said this uh, you know over the last few weeks. It's been obvious that the winds are are few and far between. But um, you know, there's some some really awesome guys on this team that we've loved watching during their time with Northwestern, and this is their this is their swan song. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, senior day. I mean, we, we you know talked a lot about these guys all season and, um, you know, a lot of these seniors, this is their last time playing at, you know, at Ryan Field. There might be other guys who this is their last time playing at Ryan Field. That's a conversation I think we should you know, save for down the road, um, the transfer portal of it all uh see what happens after the game before we start going into potential transfers but you know just on on the subject of these seniors who you know are are coming out here they're gonna you know put on the the purple and white for the last time at ryan field i mean it's you know definitely worth going out supporting them you know if, if nothing else i mean these are guys who had to deal with the covid season you know Couple Big Ten West championships, a couple terrible, terrible seasons. So, like, these guys have been through it all. And, you know, obviously not the way they wanted to round out their careers. Obviously. But, uh, you know, the least we can do as fans is to go out and support them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, we'll be there. Um, Sammy and I will be there. Um, we sat out the monsoon against Ohio State, but this is, like Sam said, this is senior day. This is Illinois. Um, this is a, a seismic season and we're going to be there. We're going to be tailgating under the red pirate flag. And, uh, we really want to see all of you there too. I mean, obviously there's a lot to talk about. Um, and you know, you want to have some more of those discussions. You hear what you, you know, hear what you're hearing on the pod. Um, come find us at the tailgate. It's been a long time, you know, since, uh, since we were able to be there. Um, and we, uh, we want to see you guys. We want to hear from you and, you know, come, Come have a brat with us and uh, have a beer, have a brat, and we'll we'll close this season out in good company.
0: Anything else to uh, talk about before we get out of here tonight, guys? I
2: I'm, I'm okay. just wondering, like, if I take a, a a a USA Northwestern parlay, what kind of odds can I get? I'll uh... <laughs> Oof. Oof. if if we. If we double up Illinois and England in two days, then, you know, I I take it all back. But. (laughs) 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 Uh, Oh, boy. Yeah, it's uh, that's I I was thinking about. So, I mean, for the soccer fans in this group, like that was the second half of that Wales game was such a gut punch. Uh, I mean, it could have been worse, but it was pretty bad. And it's like. You know, it, there was a time, Scuzz, when at least we had your Vikings, but that—that that, that seems to be.
0: How dare <laughs> that, you?
2: How dare you? Viking warship seems to be running <laughs> aground a little bit, but the uh, but poor Sammy, poor USMNT, Northwestern <sighs> football. Look, folks, it ain't it ain't been the rosiest year. It ain't been the rosiest stretch. Come. <laughs> Come drink with us at the tailgate is what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Come have a beer with us uh, and some good company at, at the tailgate.
0: Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at and Email the show westlottpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag. Because we give no quarter, especially the 4th. For John Lacombe and Eric Skasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks much for listening, and we'll see you next time.